You're listening to audio from Gospel Collective Church. If you'd like to check out additional resources or learn more about us, please visit gcclex.com. Church, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. You can kind of put your finger at verse 7 uh, as we continue from last week's message. Um, this morning, uh, we're going to hit a tough subject and read some tough scripture passages um, it's also why we actually are extending our uh, worship, at least corporate worship, through music uh, later after partaking in the Lord's Supper in response to these things and then just what uh, Joey just got done saying and praying for such things as well. Um, but let's read it all in its context and then we'll explain it. Um, verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 3, dealing with hardened hearts and unbelief, God's word says this, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today... If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take Care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it is said today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So starting off with verse 7, we see, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says. A few weeks ago, Connor had mentioned this. There's a therefore, and so we must ask, what is there before this? What we know, what we learned from last week, Jesus is faithful over God's house and family as his beloved begotten son that adopts us into his family. And part of Christ's faithfulness is that we know we are his family if we indeed, what verse 6 says there, if we indeed hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. And so knowing that to be true, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, not what I say, remember this as we read a tough passage of scripture concerning hardened hearts and unbelief. It's not about what I think or say. It's not even what the author of Hebrews says technically. Not what Moses has said or even the psalm written by David that's going to be quoted here in verses 7 through 11. But instead, two things being communicated. First, God is the author of scriptures. Second, Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 1.21. That means, as the Holy Spirit says, that when the Scripture speaks, God speaks through the use of the Holy Spirit. And so as this text addresses hardened hearts and unbelief, 
No, it is the Holy Spirit speaking. Listen, respond, obey, not to man, but to the Holy Spirit. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, verse 8, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. What can we learn from Israel's hardened hearts? Specifically, verses 7 through 11 shows three ways, three things that lead to a hardened heart. We know that a previous generation of Israel had instead put God to the test by their unbelief, as it says here. This section focuses on the inner self and the heart where one lays hold of or rejects God's grace. Even the covenants that they remember that he made with them from before. And we all know hearts can be hardened. Not just that the Holy Spirit says it here, but we've experienced it or we have witnessed it within others themselves. You see, in this passage right here, verses 7 through 11, the author of Hebrews is quoting from Psalm 95. 7 through 11. That was written by King David, as the author of Hebrews says in the next chapter, verse 7. This psalm that is spoken right here, it was actually repeated by the Israelites in their Sabbath evening to remind them of their time of rebellion and testing in the wilderness. This was all described in Exodus 17 and Numbers chapter 13 through 14. And if you think back of the story and what they all experienced, what they all witnessed, what they were all part of, of God miraculously delivering them, it is both beautiful yet hard, right? I was reminded of this from our student and media minister, Connor, who preached a few weeks ago. Uh, he's taking our students on Wednesday night through the book of Exodus, and he had shared with me, texted me actually the week leading up to the Passover message, how excited he was. He saw all the parallels of the Passover pointing to Jesus Christ, our sacrificial lamb. And he was so excited about it. He told me this may be one of the top five messages that I've been ever excited for to preach about. Later on that night, he texted me. He's like, top five to be excited about? One of my bottom five of actually preaching. Okay? And he said, he's like, I underestimated how hard that story is. And as he had shared that with me, I thought about it, you know, a little bit more. And I was like, yeah, that is kind of tough. As mind-blowing as these prophecies and revelations were, uh, again, as he admitted that, I, you think about like, you know, the firstborn son's dying, right? You think about the, the, the little unblemished, perfect little lambs being slaughtered. In fact, I thought about my eight-year-old daughter. Uh, this is her stuffy. You know what a stuffy is as a parent? All kids have their stuffy. This is her stuffy, okay? It's little lammy, all right? This little lammy was passed down originally from Olivia, my oldest daughter, um, to Lila Grace, and she loves it. Borderline idolizes it, okay? And, and she points out to me, look, if there's a little cross on the thing, and, and just takes it with her almost everywhere she goes, goes to sleep, and I'm thinking in my head like, my little eight-year-old with her beloved Lammy is going to hear the Passover story one day, all right? And little Lammy, you know, ripen the blood on the walls of the bones. Like, of course, she's not thinking about the parallels to Jesus. She's going to be traumatized like little Lammy, what I grew up with. 
that's a hard, hard story. Yet we see, again, God's deliverance in it. We see through it his purpose and protection. How he used that to free Israel, God's chosen people, to be freed from Pharaoh and Egypt alongside the miracle of the parting of the Red Sea that they experienced and saw. I mean, what if that was you? If you were God's chosen people under the slavery, the oppression of Egypt, and all of a sudden, through the plagues, through that Passover that points us to Jesus, you all of a sudden are before a body of water so large, so vast, so great, and just like, like, who but our God should we trust, should we listen to, should we worship out of this? I mean, you're in the wilderness, and God is taking care of you, providing food from out of all places. Where? The sky. I mean, it's like pouring out right now. All of a sudden, man, a bread comes down. You're like, what should we eat today? Oh, oh, thank you, God. You know, like, after he does all these miraculous things, guiding them through the desert with a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day, giving them specific commands, teaching to show his holiness and how they are to be consecrated as a people out of that holy living. And in God's miraculous deliverance, they still presumed on that grace and ended up grumbling against the Lord, testing him. And as this passage says, rebelling against them. Miracles and grace aside, freedom and forgiveness aside, they hardened their hearts toward everything that God graciously, lovingly did for them. And they rebelled against Him. Again, all found in Exodus 17, in Numbers 13 through 14, and then recapped in this psalm that the author of Hebrews is using to remind the Hebrews and us of similar grumbling, testing, and rebellion. Church, God, through the Holy Spirit, placed this in His Word for us to both remind and warn us that those things lead to the hardness of our very own hearts to the things that you've experienced in salvation and freedom from Jesus Christ and the miracles that he has done in your life and what he has brought you to a place of. And yet, you can just as easily forget or care less when rebellion, grumbling, and testing is involved. Just think of how those things lead and what scripture also says about such things. How testing leads to a hardened heart. In Deuteronomy 6.16, God commands Israel to not test him. He said, do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa. Of course, that was in the wilderness. That is what the author of Hebrews, quoting from that psalm, is talking about. Exodus 17, when the Israelites had doubts that God would provide for them anymore. And then the striking of the rock. Again, not depending on God, not trusting God anymore, but then looking for man-made ways and trying to put God to the test. That kind of testing is when doubt leads us to demand something of God to prove himself to us. And listen to this. Jesus quoted that exact command talking about in the wilderness in Deuteronomy 6.16. 
in response to one of Satan's own temptations. When the devil took him to the holy city in Matthew 4 and had him stand on the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it's written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, quoting then Deuteronomy 6.16, do not put your Lord, your God, to the test. Essentially, the devil was telling Jesus to prove God's word is true by forcing God's hand. And it's that same type of testing that leads us to hardened hearts. You see how rebellion leads to having a hardened heart, to all of a sudden being dull or not caring about or for the things of the Lord and what he has done for you. You think about rebellion, and you can't but help to think, of course, about Satan. We recently covered in the Institutes John Milton's Paradise Lost, and when reading it, although it first seems to portray sympathy to Satan and his rebellion, in the end you see how hardened his heart was. Remember, rebellion is anything that is against God's authority, and it is humanity's first sin alongside pride. And it continues to be our downfall. Our sinful nature does not want to bow to the authority of another, and even and especially God. We want to be our own bosses. We want to be our own kings. We want to be, in many ways, our own gods. And in that rebellion and that pride in our human hearts, it is the root of most, maybe even all other sin. And as we see here, from the example of the Israelites, it causes hearts to be hardened. And then you got the third thing here, grumbling. And how many of you read that and you're like, all right, this kind of seems a little out of place right here, right? Rebellion, testing the Lord. And then you're like, what's a little negativity? <laughs> you know, like what's a little complaining and grumbling going to do in relation to the seriousness of a hardened heart? I don't know about you, but I read that. I'm like, eh, is that supposed to be in there? I'm like, am I questioning God's word right now? Anyways, but if you think about it, it's the opposite of faith as, as well. The lack and trust of God, the lack of being content with the Lord that all of a sudden produces harmful critique and negativity. And when you really do think about it, yes, it not only causes for our hearts to be hardened to the Lord at times, but it spreads. It spreads, which again is scary, all three of these, when the hardness of heart can potentially spread to others. I don't know about you, but I mean, as I read those three things, and especially when I dwell on different seasons, different times in my life, my heart, my mind, or with others, this should put a little bit of fear within us. Recently, there was a viral video that's going around of a lady who was drunk and she sadly killed two people when she was driving. And they have on like the body cam video of the police officer talking to her after. And she would not let go of her, stop asking the police officer when she's going to get her car back because she has school the next day. And the police officer keeps on like telling her, like, ma'am, I don't know why you can't understand this. 
but two people died tonight because of your choices. Your car is completely wrecked and totaled. You're not going to school tomorrow. You're not getting your car back. You're going to prison tonight, ma'am. And people's lives were lost. And she's just like, so what you're saying is I got to email my professor because I can't go to school tomorrow? Like, it just wouldn't register. And the officer was even getting a little upset and agitated because, like, do you not understand the seriousness of the situation and the loss of lives? And, of course, all the comments on this video is people saying, how can this person be so blind, be so hardened? We're not even talking about spiritual Christian things, but people knowing and seeing, how can they not understand the situation? What has happened? Move forward with this. And again, I couldn't but help to think of God's word here concerning hardened hearts. I couldn't but help to think of what Jesus said about hardened hearts. What did Jesus say about a hardened heart when explaining why he spoke in parables? He gave us insight on the hardened heart from the prophet Isaiah. It's on the screens to the left and right of me. Matthew chapter 13, verses 13 through 15. Jesus says, is recorded by the Holy Spirit in his word. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. That says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes, they have closed. Lest, unless they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and Turn if somehow, some way, they can finally see and hear and understand and turn. And if so, what does it say there? And I would heal them. I will heal them. I will heal them. I don't know how much comfort that, that may give you or, or even give myself. Again, I think back to a lot of people in church that come and go, some in seasons. Some in seemingly apostasy, which this chapter does cover briefly. Some since the very beginning. Again, there's very hard things that not only we experience, but God's word says about this. When preaching on Pharaoh and the plagues to students a few months ago in that Exodus series, it says several times Pharaoh's heart was hardened several times. And I shared with them how much it sadly reminded me, even of my own brother, who had a really, really tragic ending. And I couldn't but help to compare each time I read those passages to somebody in my own life, in my own family, that I've never seen on this earth that seemed like had the largest hardened of heart. And this hits us because we think about this with others or even times and seasons of ourselves when we were blind to it. And that's why this reminder is given to us with a warning. What does it say? Today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart. I'm going to say that again. Because one, I don't 
have all the answers to this. Two, we don't have enough time to go through all the specifics with this. But I do know three times as mentioned in God's word here in this just part of this chapter. It says, today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart. You take that with what Jesus had said in Matthew 13, how he heals with a softened heart that allows our eyes and our ears to understand and a heart to turn toward him, not away from him, but he will heal you. But then you compare that to the end of this quoted psalm, verse 10 through 11. And what we read there is judgment and consequence of hardened hearts. You read here in verse 10, Therefore I was provoked with that generation. And I said, They always go astray in their heart. They've not known my ways. And as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. There's judgment there. That leads us to the next couple verses. Some of the things, continued warnings, but then also some of the things that could encourage and help us take steps toward Christ instead of away with a hardened heart. First, verse 12. Take care, brothers, unless or lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Now, this starts off encouraging, so let this encourage you first. First, it says take care, which shows us the importance and priority we should have to take care of our hearts, to protect our hearts, to do checkups on our hearts hearts. That isn't just cheesy Christianese that you may have heard, you know, the prayer warrior at your church that's like, have you protected your heart? That's not cheesy Christianese tradition growing up. That's truth that is needed for us. We are to be vigilant in taking care of our heart, of nourishing it, of feeding it in affections and truths and protecting it. Helping as what Joey had mentioned and said, to have fertile ground around it, to be softened, to receive, to hear, to obey when God is speaking to us, not hardening it. Take care of your heart. And then, of course, right after, it does come with another warning. Unless there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. The end of this verse here is talking about apostasy. Just the falling away from the Lord. Hebrews talks about this often. We're going to talk more about that specific word and subject later in chapter 5. This is one verse. We have almost an entire chapter talking about this. And so we'll kind of hit that more a little bit later. But it does say two things about apostasy here at the end of verse 12. It says, in apostasy, number one, an evil, unbelieving heart is revealed. Again, in apostasy, which is somebody falling away from the Lord that has witnessed, has experienced describing the Israelites, the good things of the Lord, the salvation of the Lord, the miraculous wonders, and yet falls away 
in that an evil, unbelieving heart is revealed. And so when witnessing, experiencing the blessing of the Lord in such ways, and yet to not believe after, as he says here, it is evil. It shows unbelief. It reveals that. It doesn't mean that they can never get saved. It doesn't mean that they can never come back to the Lord. But it does reveal in calling out a spade for what it is. It's an evil, unbelieving heart. And that is being revealed right now. And we must work in that way, share the gospel in that way, love in that way, take care in that way. Number two, it leads to a falling away. Notice this word here. It's there for a reason. It doesn't just mean a falling away from the church, from traditional religion. It leads to a falling away from the, what's the word right there? The living God. Oh, where else can I go to? But you, Jesus, bring life. It leads to a falling away from the living God. This is not a question of a quasi-passive, I'm struggling with doubts and questioning my faith, falling away. But instead, it is a rebellious secession, a withdrawing from the living God. And it can't but help to be viewed upon as serious, for they gave signs of life and fruit, and then still walked away or fell away from the environments that showed such life and fruit. Remember what Jesus said about softened hearts turned toward Jesus for healing. This is anti that. It's falling away because of that hardened heart that doesn't believe anymore or never did in the first place. And falling away from Jesus, again, it's falling away from life itself found in the living God. And so I do ask, like it says at the very beginning of this verse, again, how are you taking care of your heart? Protecting it, nourishing it, feeding it in the affections and truths. Take care of your heart. Verse 13, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I want to reverse engineer this passage it, start, uh, it, 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 kinda, it concludes with, at the end of this verse, how sin is deceitful. That we don't recognize it because it hardens our hearts without even knowing it. <laughs> and that's why often, at least when we think about our own situations, it's not until later that we can't but help to thank God and praise God. How he revealed, how he even used others to show how much we started not caring about the things of the Lord anymore how much we weren't responding or listening to the Lord anymore, but we didn't know it at that time. Oh, we pray, oh, we pray that that heart of stone will melt, will be broken, because often others don't even recognize it. But then look what it says in the very beginning. Here's the encouraging part. Encourage one another. Four words, three important steps that soften hardened hearts to be healed, as Jesus had mentioned, and that can see, hear, and understand the living, loving God. What helps melt hardened hearts in this one verse, verse 13? First, encourage. Encourage. And, and I'm not talking about like the awkward encouragement we sometimes get with the best intentions, but it kind of fell flat in light of the circumstances or what else is being said. Like what I had shared with you guys when I was in Brazil, and my translator 
with the purest intentions, comes up to me after and says, hey, has anybody ever told you, you look like C.H. Spurgeon? Now I'm like, you mean preach like C.H. Spurgeon? And like, no, look like C.H. Spurgeon. I'm like, I'll take it. Okay, you know, like a little awkward encouragement there. Some of you guys have been in those places where somebody's like, hey, usually your outfits are so hideous, but today, looking good, okay? And you're like, eh, you know? Like, I'm not talking about that type of awkward encouragement. At least they're trying. But it says here, look at the very end, that none of you may be hardened on the deceitfulness of sin. In the same context of talking about that hardened heart, exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This means that something as simple as encouragement helps melt a hardened heart. Hear that. Today, if you hear from the Lord, do not harden your heart and do not harden it to the simple command and use of what we all need in our lives when it comes to encouragement. Church, how often have we found ourselves tearing each other down instead of building each other up? Encourage. And church, let me remind you, this is something that can be so easily done in your discipleship relationships and your community group. Encourage and exhort one another. Build each other up. As even that simple command and use can melt a hardened heart. Second, notice how it says one another. Some of you already know this, but there are around 59 one another's in the scriptures. Not only here where it says encourage one another, but Colossians 3.13 that says, bear with one another and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, similar to what we read in Hebrews here, encourage one another and build each other up. Hebrews 10.24, spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Hebrews 10.25, let, let us not stop meeting together as some of you are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. James 4.11, do not slander one another. 1 Peter 1.22, love one another deeply from the heart. 1 Peter 4.9, offer hospitality to one another. 59 one another passages. Why? And why is it mentioned specifically when it comes to a hardened heart? This is why. You want to talk about something that helps lead or cause a hardened heart? Isolation will lead you to a hardened heart. If you are outside of the one another's and the great community that we are given bonded in the gospel, you will start, maybe even unknowingly, to have a hardened heart, to forget about the ways of the Lord, the things that he has done for you, the love that he has for you, the grace that is extended to you when you are isolated. 
both from the one another's, each other, and the Lord. Isolation causes hardened hearts. We need community and each other. Encourage one another. What's it say after? Every day. As long as it is called today. And yes, I know it says on the screen right there, often. I just didn't want the legalism of like, oh, am I texting this person every single day? You know, like for you to be like, am I doing it today? I know it says today, but let's just say often right now. And maybe God will lead it to every day that you're sending out those texts, praying for those people, thinking of those people, encouraging them. But this should be happening often. Building each other up often. One anothering often. As it says here, and the urgency and priority today, encourage, exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. Make this a habit. Put a reminder on your phone. Who are those people that you were maybe praying about before the sermon started? That you're thinking, they don't seem to care for the things of the Lord anymore. I don't know for sure it's a hardened heart, but I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm concerned. Put a reminder on your phone for praying for them, for encouraging them to get them in accountability or discipleship or community group to have the one another's. Make this a goal. Encourage one another often. And now look at verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. We see here in verse 14, we are to go back to the first confident truths of the faith. You know, sometimes we get bogged down, whether it be because of life, whether it be because of certain questions or doubt. And sometimes it's just as simple of going back to the first confident truths we have of the faith. Simple truths like what we remember or what we learned from our original kids Sunday school. Jesus loves me. You're getting bogged down by all these things in the world, pressures of school, temptations, these doubts again, cares of the world. And it's as simple as, I know Jesus loves me. I know he will never let me go. I know that the gospel is true. Cross, resurrection, repentance, and faith. I know because the Bible tells me so. I know these things. And sometimes what will melt that hardened heart is going back to what you originally believed with childlike faith. Jesus loves me. He will not let me go. He proved that through the cross, sacrificial love, the power of the resurrection, the needed response of repentance and faith. Satan loses, there is grace. It helps keep you firm to the end. Verse 15, as it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Another reminder that is needed. This is repetition because we need to hear this again. If you hear his voice, listen, obey, walk toward it. Don't take a step back. That's a step toward a hardened heart. Verse 16, for 
Who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient. He's saying the same thing. He's saying the same thing. But now he's asking in questions. This is a good counselor right here. This is good discipleship. Because he's helping reveal motives of the heart. Helping reveal true intentions by asking these questions. Who was it? What did they experience? What did they feel? What did they see of the Lord? And yet they still did not believe. He's revealing these things. The descent of the hardness of heart by asking these important questions. And listen, some of you... And some of the people you know with the hardness of heart, it's because you will not let yourself ask those questions. What will happen if I continue going down this path? What's going to be taken away in the future? What's going to happen to the people who are around me that is witnessing and experiencing this? Is God the same God that delivered me then that he is here today? you got to ask those hard questions. And then it ends in verse 19. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Belief or faith is the final separation we see between what is described here, we're going to learn about in the next chapter, that eternal rest, both we have in Sabbath here, but then, yes, this is talking about heaven as well. Again, we're going to explain that more next week. It's affirmed two verses later in chapter 4. But in the end, it says a heart can be hardened to the point of unbelief. And when I say that, remember, doubt is not the opposite of faith. Unbelief is. Doubt's not always wrong by any means. In fact, that helps grow us. That's what was used in John the Baptist's life as he experienced doubt, even to the point of questioning the divinity of Jesus Christ and where he affirmed him, encouraged him, reminded him of all the miracles that was happening because of him, and then affirming John the Baptist saying, I'm unworthy to tie his sandals because of what he did in preparing the way for me. Doubt is not the same as unbelief. But we must take unbelief serious, even in the tensions that lie within it. The tensions that's described in Mark chapter 9, where Jesus healed a boy with a demon, an unclean spirit. And as the disciples are trying to cast out the spirit to no avail, Jesus says it must take a certain type of faith. And what does the father of the demon-possessed boy say? Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. Oh, you see the tension there. But we should welcome it. Because it's how our heart works. Our lives work in the wilderness. I believe. Help my unbelief. And then later when he explains more, reveals more to the disciples, he says to them when they ask, why could we not cast that demon out? He said there's a certain type of prayer and faith. That is required for that. The Father merely seeks help through Jesus' miraculous powers. If you can do anything, and when he corrects the Father's statement, he calls him to put his ultimate trust in the Lord. I believe, 
help my unbelief. In a moment here, the band's going to walk up and they're going to be playing a song. This is not a song that I'm going to ask for you to stand up and sing. It's a new song. It's actually kind of a specific special song in relation to that verse and to this message. They're going to be singing and you're going to be reading the lyrics that's on the screen talking about that tension that many of us feel and some in this very own room feels right now. I believe, help my unbelief. What's kind of cool about the song and how God has used it not only in my life, but used it last service and I'm sure is going to use it here again. As you read and dwell upon these lyrics, you're going to see the escalation of the words revealing and showing how we are to trust in the simple truths we are received in the beginning. Help in my unbelief, but these things I do know, what you have revealed, what I had my original saving faith in, that childlike faith, and that you will never let me go. And so church, I want to ask before we partake in the Lord's Supper, and I give some instructions there and invite you to spend some time with the Lord in preparation for that, will you please dwell upon these lyrics in your seats Maybe you'll be praying them yourself, singing them in your own hearts, confessing them to the Lord, but let them be an encouragement that in that tension of belief and unbelief, God will never let us go. And we are to go back to the simple truths at the beginning. I know some of your lives are complicated. I know you're in seasons where it seems like you are so far away from what that childlike faith was in the beginning whether you're an adult or you're a child when first experiencing it, listen, that is normal. I believe, help in my unbelief, because these things are true. Jesus loves me. He will not let me go. He died, he rose, and that is still true for me today. Will you listen? Will you dwell? Will you pray these things? And we'll partake in the Lord's Supper. Darkness haunts me again today So confused have I lost the way and If you're there I can't see your face I don't know I don't know Sometimes it's hard to believe Help me in my unbelief Sometimes it's hard to be free Help me in my unbelief Tasted truth and I've eaten lies Turned away just to realize in my soul I just can't deny what I know this I know 
sometimes it's hard to believe help me in my unbelief sometimes it's hard to be free help me in my you to respond to one of two things before we partake in the Lord's Supper. First, concerning unbelief. Just as Jesus had explained to the disciples in Mark 9, will you take some time right now to pray and talk to the Lord? Pray in faith. Be loud. Be open. Be honest about the struggles. But spend some time in and with the Lord or praying for those that seem to forget, that seem to fit this category. Also concerning unbelief, if that's you, do you need help discerning the difference between the doubts and unbelief? Because again, there is a difference. There is a difference. And with those doubts, I want to encourage you, if you need help, we'd love to help you out. In fact, that could be just filling out one of these cards and sharing that you'd love to have a conversation 
share a little bit more so that you can be able to let God deal with those struggles and doubts, to doubt out loud, doubt with others, and understand and find answers. But know this, Jesus can handle your doubts and wants to help and use them. Can communicate that to us. Spend some time with the Lord regarding that and use those cards. And maybe you can't do any of the above because of the hardened heart. And that's the second thing. If you feel like you struggle with or with others of a hardened heart, will you spend some time with the Lord before we partake in the Lord's Supper? First asking these four things or responding in these four things. One, do you need to repent of any of what was described in verses 7 through 11, testing, grumbling, or rebelling against the Lord? Is that a time that before we partake in Lord's Supper, you need to repent of? Confess as sin, turn the other way. God, I'm testing you. God, I am grumbling against you and even influencing in that way. God, I am rebelling against you and I need to repent of this as it leads to a hardened heart or it's already there. Two, maybe you need to respond by taking better care of your heart, nourishing it, protecting it, feeding it. Three, do you need to take steps to encourage one another often or do you need that for yourself? Do you need that for yourself? And you can share that with a discipler, share that with your community group, share that with us. And we'd love to help you to get, again, a habit and repetition, a rhythm, so you can be encouraging or be encouraged often to melt that hardened heart. Last of all, do you need to, what we just heard from this song, what we read from Hebrews, go back to those simple, confident truths. This I know. Jesus, you love me. You will not let me go. The Bible is true and it tells me so. You died, you rose. I respond in repentance and faith. You receive. You will not let go of that covenant you made with me. Do you need to go back to those simple truths? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Take a step the other way. Listen, obey to what he is saying. A step in any of those areas is a step toward a softened, receptive heart toward the loving and living God. And a step toward what we're reminded of and we receive in the Lord's Supper.